All right, if you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to open it with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. In this series, we're calling Core Values. We're talking about six values that we hope describe the culture of our church. You might not be able to say all six of them. You might not be able to define them the way that we would define them. But our hope is that, that this is a reflection of the DNA of this church. When you come here, when you stay for any length of time, you start to say, yeah, that is true. That is true of that place. And the reason that we want these to reflect the culture of our church is because we believe these core values reflect the heart of God, God's intention and his design for the church. So let me just, again, list them for you. Number one is a culture of honor. Two is outward focus. In other words, like we just said with these members, it's not about me and my preferences. Number three, battle mediocrity. That's that desire to do all things with excellence for the glory of God, because we do it unto Jesus. Number four is radical generosity, and we talked about that last weekend. Number five, better together. And number six, an atmosphere of faith. Now, let me just say about that sixth one, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about an atmosphere of faith, and I want to encourage you to clear your calendar for next weekend because we're having what we call Saturate Weekend. I'm so glad to have evangelist Ron Rhodes with us in the house today. He's right here on the second row. Love you, Ron. Next Sunday, or next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're calling Saturate Weekend. We're going to have service on Friday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to have service on Saturday night at 6 o'clock, and then we're going to have our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service on Sunday. And on Sunday, evangelist Ron Rhodes is going to be preaching about the atmosphere of faith. And much like the water baptisms and the child dedications were today, I'm telling you, our Saturate weekend is an illustrated message in itself. See, we just believe if you set the atmosphere for faith, anything is possible. The Bible tells us with God, all things are possible. The Bible also says that when Jesus went to Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. So setting the atmosphere of faith is critical. And so next weekend, we do this just a couple times a year. We want to say, you know what? Let's, let's clear the calendar. Let's get to the house of God on Friday night and on Saturday night for one purpose. We want to set an atmosphere of faith. We want to believe God for miracles. And I want to encourage you, if you know somebody that, that doesn't attend church, maybe they're completely unchurched, maybe they're de-churched, maybe they're just tired of church. Maybe they, they would say to you, I tried that, I've done that before, and it doesn't work for me. I want to encourage you to get them here Friday and Saturday night of, ne of this week. Here's the, here's the thing with our culture. Maybe you've noticed this. People aren't really searching for knowledge. People think they have knowledge because we have Google in our pocket. Like, I, I, don't need, I, don't, I can YouTube it. If I don't know how to do it, you know, I'll figure it out. We're not searching for knowledge. We, we have all the answers. That's the attitude of a lot of our culture. But you know what people are searching for? An experience. They want to know something's real. And that's why it's so important that we carve out times in our own lives and in our church that we can say our heart is to experience the manifest power of God in our midst. That's what this weekend is all about. So I want to encourage you. And you know, the other reason it's great for us as a church is 
on Friday and Saturday, uh, we're not going to have multiple services. So it's the opportunity for a lot of us to get together and have church with the other half of our church. People that you don't ever get to worship with. We just want to fill this room to capacity on Friday and Saturday night uh, of this weekend. And we'll have nursery and we'll have uh, kids ministry so you can bring your families. We're doing the service Friday at 7 to give you time to get home from work and feed everybody and then get here. And then Saturday, we'll do it at 6 o'clock. And then, of course, Sunday morning, uh, Ron's going to be preaching on the atmosphere of faith. But today, I want to take about 20 minutes here, and I want to talk to you about our fifth core value, and that is that we are better together. Better together. Now, let me just start by giving a shout out to some folks that have already bought in on this message. I didn't even preach it yet, uh, but you've already bought into it. And that's those that are leading our life groups. Those that are leading our life groups understand that that there's something that God has called us to that we can't accomplish in 90 minutes on Sunday morning when that guy up front does all the talking. Amen. (laughs) Well, that guy and some of the kids today, but usually, you know. Here, let me just mention these names to you. I, I just, I'm so thankful for these folks. Here's some of our life group leaders right now. Larry and Jolene Fisher, Patrick and Alicia Collins, Jack and Val Snyder, Steve and Sandy Malis, Hank and Denise Feltenberger, Earl and Danielle Winter, Val McClure, Christian and Sophia Bearscove, Carrie Palacios, Luis and Marilyn Rodriguez, and Sue Graham. Can we just give a, a big thanks to these folks? Yeah. And there may, there may be others, and maybe you're here today, and, and you came like, you know what, I'm going to pick up one of those life group packets at the info center, and I'm going to get together with some friends, and we're going to go through this life group material together. If that's on your heart today, we would encourage that. Uh, groups are meeting at all different times. Some haven't started yet. Some started last week. My group started last week. We're meeting again tonight, so since I do have the mic, let me just remind my group, we're meeting at my house at 6 p.m. tonight. But I, I'm so thankful for these that have, have bought in to this understanding that we are better together, that there's something that God wants to do in the church that he only does in the context of human relationship. Last week, we we preached on radical generosity. And in that message, I, I said this statement. I said that God's grace was working so powerfully, so powerfully through the church that there was no needy person among them. That was the testimony of the first century church in the book of Acts. The grace of God was working so powerfully through their lives that there was no needy person among them. And the reason I had you go back to Acts today is because I'm still convinced in 2018 that God's plan and pattern for the church is still the best plan. Somebody say amen to that. The church that Jesus started on the day of Pentecost, just 50 days after he made a a public show of the devil, conquering death, hell, and the grave, resurrecting from the dead, just 50 days after that, he launched the church on the day of Pentecost, and that church had every resource it needed to accomplish the Great Commission. That church had everything it needed to do exactly what Jesus intended the church to do. And can I tell you that we are no less equipped today? Everything that we need, God has given us in Christ. 
to be the church and to fulfill the mission that he has given us. So I want to go right back to Acts chapter 2 because I want you to see some of the principles that this church followed. Look at verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's four things that are mentioned here. This first century church, they they were driven by these core values. They valued the word of God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They valued the breaking of bread. That's communion, the table of the Lord. Jesus said we should celebrate communion. Now, it doesn't say how often we should do it. It just says we should do it often. And so as a church, we do it monthly, usually the first Sunday of the month. We're foregoing it today because of all of the things we're celebrating in in our 90 minutes here. But we celebrate communion. We're devoted to the table of the Lord. It says they were also devoted to prayer. That's something that's not going away anytime soon. We are devoted to prayer because we believe that God hears us when we pray and that all things are possible for them that believe. But there's a fourth thing here, and I don't want you to miss it. Sometimes we can minimalize the significance of it, but I want you to see it clearly in this verse. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to fellowship. Can I just ask you to just internally ask yourself this question this morning? Have I devoted myself to Christian fellowship? Have I devoted myself to it? See, the the Bible says that there's something incredible that happened to us at salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it describes for us what happened when Jesus died for us on the cross and when we put our faith in that moment. Here's what it says in Verse 9, it says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's the moment of salvation. We were once in darkness, but now we're in light. But look at the next verse. He says, once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hear me today, church, because this is the central point of all human history. We're talking about the moment where Jesus sacrificed his life for us on the cross. At Calvary, the Bible says we who were far from God have now been drawn near. We who were in darkness have now been brought into light because of our faith in that finished work of redemption. But that's not all that happened in that moment. Verse 10 told us, you were not a people, but now you are a people. So not only has God redeemed us to himself, but he put us in a family. That's why this thing of fellowship is so important, because it wasn't even possible before this moment. Now listen, there may be some people in this room, you look around this room and you might have some friends that, that, that maybe you you work together, or maybe you have the same hobbies or interests, or or maybe your kids are growing up together. And for whatever reason, you would look at them and you would say, they're my friend. But you wouldn't say that about everybody in this room. There's people in this room that, that you don't even know. And maybe you call this your church home and so do they, but you don't even know them. And yet the Bible says we are a people that God's put us into a family. Can I just be honest with you today? I think a lot of people have devalued 
the idea of Christian fellowship to just mean Christian acquaintances or, or, or Christian friends, maybe at best. But this idea of fellowship, the Bible word is koinonia. This idea of fellowship is that we are not just gathered together in the same room or gathered together for the same purpose, but we are gathered together on common ground. And the common ground, the ground that levels us all, is at the foot of the cross. We come together in Jesus' name. And because of that, the Bible says there's something supernatural that has happened, that though you can have people outside of the church that you've known for years and years and people that you've journeyed with, somehow, because of what Jesus has done, we can walk in a deeper covenant relationship with the body of Christ, even with our own family. And many of you, like me, you've lived away from a lot of your family most of your life. And I can testify that I've had closer relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ oftentimes than I do with some of my own family. There's something that, that God does by his spirit when he knits our hearts together. It's the fellowship of the church. And this first century church, they were committed to it. They were committed to it. You know... This message that I'm preaching right now, as I was thinking about it this week, I got to be honest, this message would seem unnecessary if I preached it in, in a culture where the church is being persecuted. If I were to be preaching this message in, in China or, or in the Middle East, somewhere where, where Christians understand that to give my life to Jesus means to forsake it all. I wouldn't have to explain to them that fellowship with other Christians actually matters. Because when they have the opportunity, after they've been shunned, and we live in the Amish country, we understand shunning at least a little bit. We know what that can look like. But these Christians in other cultures where Christianity is not so socially acceptable, when they give their life to Jesus, when they're baptized the way these people were this morning, and they make a public confession of their faith in Jesus, they have been cut off. Culturally, some of them lose their jobs, they're run out of their houses, their own families turn their back on them. So can you imagine being in that culture? And then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to gather together, maybe in an underground church, maybe in the back room of somebody's house. You have the opportunity to come together with other people of like precious faith, and you can join hands and you can pray together in Jesus' name and you can worship your Savior together. Nobody has to tell them that fellowship matters. It's everything. But for us, we've exchanged it for Christian acquaintances. And what I want to challenge you to understand today is that God has called us and even given us in salvation the opportunity to be a part of the fellowship of the believers. Can we put that verse back up again That in Acts chapter 2, verse 42? There's, there's three words I just I got to get you to focus in on before we move forward. Because these are the three words that they encourage me, but sometimes, i got to be honest, they discourage me as well. And it's the first three words. They devoted themselves. Those words are encouraging because it reminds me that it's not all up to me. It's something that was God was doing in the people, but it discourages me sometimes, if I'm honest, because I realize that if you don't do it, there's nothing I can do about it. No program can create this. No sermon can make this happen. How in the world did a bunch of fishermen and, and, and uneducated, illiterate 
Most of them, people in the first century, take the gospel to the ends of the known world. How did they do it? Three words. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the word, yes, to prayer, yes, to communion, yes, but they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Like all of our other core values, we have a little definition that helps us keep on track with what this means, and I want to read that to you right now. We'll put it on the screen so you can see what it means for the church to be better together. Anyone can come and be a spectator, but we are convinced that the church is better when we serve, celebrate, and sorrow together. It's true. If you're here as a guest, we're glad you're here. And I hope there are many guests every weekend. I don't know about you, but I just want every seat full every Sunday. But we're convinced that the church is better when we serve, when we celebrate, and when we sorrow together. Let me just quickly talk about serving for a minute. And before I do, let me just say in our life groups, we're going to take a lot more time to kind of unpack this thought and and give you the chance to talk about what it looks like in the context of your own life and relationships. But let me just say this about serving. I'm convinced, according to this book, we just simply believe that there is no such thing as a second string Christian. Now, if you played sports in high school, you might be familiar with the term second string or third string or fourth string, depending on how athletic you were. But we take that idea sometimes in the kingdom of God. We look at other people and their gifts and their abilities, and we think, well, God wants to use them. I'm just a, I'm just a bench warmer. That is not the case. There, there is no B team in the kingdom of God. Everything that God wants us to do, he's equipped us to do. The Bible says this, and we read this earlier today. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Who are each one? Each one are the Christians. Everybody, in the, each one that loves Jesus, that's given your heart to Jesus, the Bible says that there is a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't have to be weird. I know it's October, but don't think spooky. That can be very practical. A manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means there's something that the Holy Spirit in you wants to prompt you to do that's going to be a blessing to everybody else. That's God's plan for the church. I read a story this week that kind of illustrated this uh, appropriately. There was a, a company that was going to have an annual picnic for all of their employees, and they got this idea that uh, they wanted to rent a couple of racing shells and challenge a rival company to a race. And so the rival company accepted the invitation that they were going to compete with each other, and they were going to they were going to have this big race on the day of the company picnic. So on the day of the picnic, everybody, you know, bought into the idea. You know, the women had the big hats on and uh, the guys were wearing white pants and the little, uh, you know, straw skimmer hats. And everybody was ready to celebrate. The band was playing and, and both of the company's boats got in the water. Now, have you seen these rowing teams? You've seen the way they like eight people row and then you got one, one little lightweight guy in the front facing the wrong direction who's just telling them what to do. 
He's called the coxswain. And his job is to just kind of tell everybody how to row and where they're going, and they just keep going. Well, that's the kind of boats that, that they rented. And so the two teams get out there on the water, and the gun fires and the race starts, and, and much to the dismay of the host company, uh, their rival just jumped right out front. I mean, they, they just blew past them, and they never turned back. In fact, by the end of the race, they were 11 boat lengths ahead. Now, in terms of rowing, that's bad, right? They destroyed them. So the management of the host company, who were embarrassed, promptly appointed a committee to place responsibility for the failure and to make recommendations on how they can improve the host team's chances at next year's rematch. The committee then appointed several task force to study the various aspects of the race. They met for three months, and they issued this preliminary report. In essence, they said that the rival crew had been unfair. They reported that they had eight people rowing and one coxswain steering and shouting out the beat. We had one person rowing and eight coxswains. (laughs) So the chairman of the board thanked the committee and he sent them away to study the matter further and to make recommendations for next year's rematch. Four months later, the committee comes back with this recommendation. Our guy has to row faster. (laughs) Now, let me just tell you, that's a bad strategy in rowing. But can I say that's the way that a lot of people view the church. Like, we pay a few people to row really hard, and if they would row faster, we would do better. But can I just tell you, that is not God's design. That is not God's plan for the church. Every one of us have a gift and an ability and an opportunity to serve. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave them to the church. Why? The verse after it says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Listen, anyone can be a a spectator, but we are better together when we serve, when everybody begins to row, when everybody gets on board when everybody serves. Now, let me tell you about those other two elements. We're better when we celebrate in sorrow together. And and let me just say this about it. What what I mean by that is celebrating and sorrowing together means the church has big shoulders. So when God is good in your life, when you get the promotion, when things go well, when the baby's born healthy, when, when, when you're excited, your kids have graduated, whatever's happening in your life, We want to be those that that hoist you up on our shoulder. We want the church to be a place where we don't compete with each other, where we don't don't try to leverage off of each other to make ourselves look better. No, we want to be a culture that celebrates. That's why days like today are so important, That, that people don't just make commitments towards Christ, but that the church rallies behind people making commitments towards Christ. That's why today is so important. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. But having big shoulders also means that we want to come and pick you up 
when things go wrong. I read the verse earlier to our new members that when one sorrows, we all sorrow. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We, the church ought to be that group of people that when you need a shoulder to cry on, we're there. Galatians 6 says that we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when you need somebody to help you, to lift you up, to encourage you when the load gets too heavy, that's what the church is for. And we're just convinced that the church is better when we not only serve, but when we also celebrate and sorrow together. Again, it's hard to make that happen when you show up for 90 minutes once a week and let one guy do all the talking. But man, when you commit, when you devote yourself to fellowship, when you get to know somebody and their story and what God's doing in their life, what their faith is set on and where their frustrations are holding them up, God begins to work through the church. That's what he wants to do. He wants to work through each and every one of us. Let me give you one more verse and we'll close. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Last week, as we were talking about radical generosity, I emphasize this point. God owns it all. He owns it all. So everything that we do is a stewardship test. He owns it all. We're the managers. And that goes way beyond our finances. This verse tells us that God's grace has been given to you and that when you serve others, you're stewarding that grace. Can, can I just say that the people that serve at this church are, are crushing it? I mean, we have great teams. I'm so thankful for those that are serving. And I want you to know, I'm not saying what I'm saying today because we're desperate for your help. Service is not something that we want from you. Service is something we want for you because you're a steward. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account, not just for your money or how you spend it, but for your time, your talent, and the grace of God. And this verse that we just read says that when you serve, you are stewarding the grace of God in its various forms. There are forms and demonstrations of the grace of God yet to be seen because they live in you. And we want to draw those out. And it begins with saying, I devote myself to fellowship. You know, when I was about 16 years old, my, my cousin came and lived with my family for a little while. He's about a year older than me, and he's an incredible guitar player. And so I asked him if he would teach me guitar. And so he would come up to my room and, and he would show me, you know, he would show me where to put my fingers on the strings and I would, I would do that and then I would strum the chord. He'd say, yeah, that's it, that's awesome. And then he'd say, here, now let me show you something. And he'd take the guitar and he'd go, now once you learn that, now then you can start adding this and then you can do that and this scale works and this scale works. You're gonna find so many things. And he just starts playing and playing. And I'm going, wow, that's amazing. 10 minutes later, he gives me the guitar back and guess what? I don't remember the chord that he showed me. I'm like, show me again. So he shows me the chord one more time. I put, okay, that finger, that finger there, okay, I got it. And he goes, yeah, oh, that's perfect, that's great. Now let me show you this. And then he takes the guitar back and begins to jam out again for another 10 minutes. So I, I realized pretty quick, I, I can't learn guitar from you. You won't let me play the instrument. Uh, and so what ended up happening is I picked up the drumsticks and just jammed out with him for a little while and he never taught me how to play the guitar. You know, it's true that 
It's easier and maybe even more enjoyable to show people what you know how to do than it is to patiently watch them learn how to do it. Can I just say this about our serve team leaders? Because we've talked about this and we've prayed about this and we've got a bunch of leaders that are willing and ready to put the instrument in your hand. Again, because service is not necessarily something we want from you as much as it is something we want for you. And so I wanna give you something very practical at the end of this message. And, and you've been looking at it all morning. You just didn't know it. There's a card in the back of the seat that says next steps. And on the back side of that card, it just says, sign me up. And I just want to give you a, a practical word of encouragement today. If you're a, a part of this church, if you've been coming for any length of time and you, you say, you know what, this is where I want my faith to grow. This is where I want to be closer to Jesus. This is, this is where I'm worshiping Every weekend, this is my church home. Whether you're a member or not, you would say, this is my church home. I want you to understand today that we want the various forms of God's grace present in this house. And that, that's, that's why we need you to serve. And so this is just a very practical way that you can respond today. Again, whether you're new here or maybe you've been coming for a long time, just put your name on there and how we can contact you. And there's a box that says serving on a ministry team. I'm interested in serving on a ministry team. And if you know what that is, you can write it in. That'll just give us the next. That'll put the ball in our court so that we can then contact you. There's all kinds of ways you can serve. Some of them are listed up here. Just as an example, you can serve at our coffee bars, a greeter, info center, kids church workers. We need teachers. We also need volunteers to serve in small groups, life groups, maintenance and grounds, people to just help us with our facilities here, media and sound team, these guys that are serving right here in the back of the room, nursery, preschool, ushers, our worship team, our youth ministry. And even as we wrote these out, I realized there's so many more. I got to stop somewhere. There's so many opportunities. And maybe there's a ministry that doesn't happen here. And you've wondered why. Man, I wish they had that. Well, maybe you're why we don't have it yet. Tell us about it. Tell us what God's been stirring in your heart. I, I want to just challenge you today to devote yourself to fellowship, to fellowship, to recognize that what, what God is doing in these relationships is so very important. We started out in Acts 2, looking at this church and how they devoted themselves. It says they, they devoted themselves. But who are, who are they? They're the believers. They're the Christians. And maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're not one of the they. <laughs> you're not one of them. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you're not sure, you're kind of on the fence, can I just say to you today that there's nothing you can do, there's no box you can check, there's, there's no thing you can do it's going to get you into heaven. There's no service. The Bible says very clearly that we're saved by grace through faith. And so can I just remind all of us today, there, there are three ways that God is working in your life. One of the ways is God is working through you. That's service. God's working through you as you serve. Secondly, God is working in you. That's sanctification. That means the longer you journey with Jesus, 
the more like him you become. I love the way author Max Lucado said it. He said, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. That's sanctification. It's God working in you. Service is God working through you. But can I tell you, salvation is God working for you. You don't have to do anything to be saved. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, 9, it says, if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So if you're here today and you're listening to this message and you saw these testimonies and man, the whole time, the Holy Spirit's just been talking to you, not audibly, louder than that, in your soul. He's talking to you about where you stand with God. I want you to know he's working for you today. And you can be saved. How? I just read it. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Jesus as Lord. And something will begin. It'll change your life. Every part of your life, if you let it. The old will be made new. So I want to pray a prayer here. I want to ask you if you just bow your head with me all over this room. And while we just close our eyes and focus in on, on our own relationship with the Lord and nobody else, nobody else, this is just you and God, I want to ask you a question today. Would you be so bold as to be honest in this moment if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to, you want to be saved, you want to have your own testimony like those we heard earlier. If you're here today and you say, today is my new life Sunday. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus right now, unashamed, just between you and God. Would you let me know who I'm praying for? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. I'm looking around this room. Anyone, just raise your hand and say, that's me today. I need to begin my relationship with Jesus. It starts with a simple confession. Being honest before God, saying, God, I need you. God, I need you today. God, I need you today. Amen. Amen. Church, here's what we're going to do in this moment. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I want to take a moment to consecrate my life again to Jesus. You see, the Bible says we are a living sacrifice. You know, what I've noticed about a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. So I'm going to put my life back on the altar and I want to invite you to do the same God here's my life here's my hands here's my energy my time my talent God when I ask you to be my savior when I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life I gave him everything but God I know there's been plenty of times where I've I've pulled back from that commitment but Jesus today I hear you speaking to your church they devoted themselves. God, I fully commit today my life to your service. Lord, I commit to your word. I commit to prayer. I commit to remembering you at the table of communion. And God, today I commit to fellowship. I commit to these that are sitting on my left and right. God, I believe that your grace is at work in my life and it needs to be demonstrated through my service. So God, I offer myself to you again as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable 
in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand together?